Good morning. Thank you, Heather, for once again preparing us for worship. We are already blessed. Welcome to this Palm Sunday. Whether you are here or tuning in later in the week, welcome, and I hope that you will be blessed together with us this morning. When I read the passage in Mark of how the people responded um, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, how they spread their coats, how they laid down the palm branches, I couldn't help but wonder, how would I have responded? Would I have recognized him as king, the son of God? Sometimes when you meet someone, the evidence tells you how they would have responded. I met two young men this week that were very clear on whom they served. Their passion and commitment was evident. What evidence is there in my life? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. Father, free us to worship you with the enthusiasm and passion expressed as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. They did not know what was coming, but we do. We know what Jesus did for us. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to prepare ourselves for the communion that we're going to have on Friday. And help us to remember the cross and resurrection that's come in this com- for this coming weekend and for, for the whole year. Bless the words that, have, that you have shared with Pastor Dean. Anoint them as he shares them with us this morning. Amen. Good morning. Uh, I picked the songs this morning in light of uh, Palm Sunday today and it being um, Passion Week, Good Friday on Friday, so I hope that we can worship together this morning. Uh, The first song we'll sing is Here I Am to Worship.
the next song that we're going to sing is Hosanna. I think I haven't sung this song since I was maybe eight years old and coming down the aisle on Palm Sunday morning with my palm branch for Sunday school, uh, but I couldn't get it out of my head when I was thinking of songs this week, so I thought this was a great song for today. Uh, if you are able, I invite you to stand.
You can be seated. Before uh, we go into the bulletin, I'd like to acknowledge and thank Heather, Melissa, and Stephanie for serving us both here and your own congregations. Thank you very much. So let's take your bulletins and um, in the this week on Friday we're having a communion service at nine fifteen a.m. Good Friday morning. We want to remember our missionaries of the week K and K, who are in a special country serving in a very special way, and um, we also want to have a time of prayer this week asking the Lord's direction for the future of our church. Decisions are needing to be made, and um, let's make sure to ask the Lord to be part of those decisions. The sanctuary will be open uh, from 8 to 5, Monday to Friday, and so let's participate as we're able. There's some child care being offered, um, there is a children's bulletin, I believe, available from the ushers. And um, just another reminder that we are sponsoring um, the Muhanuzi family, which is Asani's brother. And, um, you know, they'll need, they'll need not only the financial help, but they'll also need for some to take the time, for all of us to take the time to walk with them when they're here and help them in a direct way, practical way. So I'd like to add under the Ukraine families thing here, yes, we need food, clothing, bedding, and furniture, but a bit of an update. Um, We now have one family that moved in. We've had three or four transition houses offered to us. Uh, 2,000 square foot Warehouse has been made available for furniture and for other goods, clothing, etc. There will be a fundraiser in May, on May 7th at the curling rink. That will feature um, um, Cindy Claus. Sorry, names just get away from you. But anyway, I hope that doesn't happen to any of you. But Cindy Clausen will be speaking and um, on Perseverance. She has uh, five gold medals from um, uh, skating. And um, she will be talking on Perseverance, but she'll be talking about how her faith walked with her during that time and how this, these medals are now giving her an opportunity, a platform to talk about her faith. So keep that Saturday morning open. It's a brunch at 11 at the curling rink. And another piece, there are 32, a group of 32 waiting in Germany. There are three families. Um, They need flights. Uh, A donation of $10,000 has been given so that six of them can come. It takes $1,500 a flight. That's the cost today. So we're looking to see whether... You know, somehow we can put another $40,000 together to bring them here. They're actually a church, a pastor, a youth pastor, and another family. So I'll give that some prayer and let's see what we, how we can help, how we can help as a community.
We are, again, the planning for the future. The box is still in the foyer, so if any of you want to submit your questions and comments, uh, the executive and council are, are open want to hear from you. We have Dorothy Giesbrecht and Hilda Hamm in, in hospital, so let's pray for them. Uh, an expression of sympathy. Richard Rich Hildebrand of Saskatchewan passed away Wednesday, April 6th. He's the son of Alvin and Doreen Hildebrand and a brother to Dale Hildebrand and Roxanne and Alf ends. Let's pray for this family and we wish them God's peace that only God can give. There's a fundraiser um, being held by Pembina Valley Bible Camp on April 20th and 20, 28th. So let's keep that in mind. We all It's a banquet, so we all need to eat. And I want to point out that we have a special membership meeting Monday, April 25th. So let's, um, let's remember that. So before we go on to prayer, um, the Gideon video that wasn't able that we weren't able to show last week, um, Neil is uh, Neil is here or they're here. They have a table in the foyer again, and uh, we'll show the video now, and, uh, and then we'll go to prayer. here that work in the municipality wrote a letter to us asking for help, asking for Bibles. La carta que hice fue en petición de, de todo el municipio, porque en todo el municipio casi no tenemos Biblia. Muchas almas perdidas en esta zona. La, la zona mezquita es una zona como aislado, abandonado, pero Dios sí tiene un plan propósito. Por eso estoy agradecido que ustedes vinieron de largo, porque para Dios hay algo importante en esta zona. They have been through a lot. They have been marginalized. They have been forgotten in many ways. Working on the street, we see many people drunk. We see many people doing nothing here. They have a high rate of violence in the homes. So we need to come here with the Bibles. We need to help the pastors that are doing a nice work here. And we need to be a part of what they are doing. In response to their cry for help, we brought what we could quickly gather up, scripture magazines, filled from cover to cover with the hope of God's word. La fuente de Dios es muy importante. Nuestras comunidades debe ser eh, debe entender que la verdad os hará libre. 
revista Esperanza, como la revista Chispa y los demás materiales que ustedes distribuyen, para nosotros realmente son de gran bendición y de eh, mucho apoyo ministerial. We come all this way to see if the letter of invitation was sincere. And the more we saw and heard, the more we realized it really was. The surprise for us was that we uh, think that was only one community that was waiting for us. And now we find that it's 120 communities here that are waiting for our help. So the first step that we do is to do some research. So we come as we are doing right now and we ask questions to find out how we can serve. Then we come a second time to bring training and resources, and then we come a third time in a period of maybe two, three years, bringing groups to help that church to ignite towards evangelism and discipleship. It seems that God is behind everything. We never made any efforts trying to reach the Nicaraguan government and try to do some kind of partnership with them. It came from them. What we really do know is that we don't want to miss this opportunity. The doors are open now. We don't know how long they will be open. And for as long as they are open, we want to run with the scriptures to every single Nicaraguan, every single Mosquito people. That's why we need your help. There's no better gift that we could ever offer to someone than God's word. I notice here that $3 will place a scripture into someone's hat. That's very doable. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this church community here. Um, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to be part of your work. And, um, Lord, I just uh, want to hold up this um, this bulletin. Uh, I want to hold up all the work that's in this bulletin, and, Father, I ask that you bless it. And, Father, uh, for those that are... Um, teaching and leading in the various ways, through Bible study, through women's prayer, and through uh, the committee work. Father, give them wisdom and bless them as they serve. Father, prepare us and prepare our hearts for communion on Friday. And Father, prepare us to celebrate this coming Easter weekend and to remember, to remember why we celebrate it. Father, for um, our missionaries, K and K, um, who are serving, you know, in, a, in another land, and Father, for them, this coming weekend is going to, um, uh, it's going to be difficult, different and difficult, more difficult for them to celebrate, uh, at least openly. But Lord, um, give them the opportunity to speak about, you know, what it is, what is the meaning of our celebrations. Father, we as a church have come to a spot where we need um, um, direction and guidance. Um, Father, we um, want, to, want to follow you. And um, 
So, Father, lead us, guide us, give us direction. Give those that are in leadership direction. And, uh, Father, that we will stop, we will listen to your voice as we give advice, as we give direction, as we help with what it is that the next 125 years should look like here. Father, as we um, think about families like the Muhanuzi family, the 32, the group of 32 that's in Germany, and the many, many others, the three million that have come out of Ukraine and um, that have been displaced from their homes that have no place at this point to go back to. Father, um, show us how we can help them in their time of need. Father, we have um, all have something to offer. The, the boy had five loaves and two fish, and Father, you multiplied, and we just ask you um, again for, to multiply that which we uh, can offer. We've heard about the, the need for Bibles in Nicaragua, and um, Father, we thank you for an organization like the Gideons, who are giving scripture, handing out scripture all over the world. And Father, we know that your word is what is that everyone needs, and including those that are, have been displaced. And Father, if we can in some ways connect and offer the real living water, Father, show us how and make it possible. Father, walk with Dorothy and Hilda, as they are in the hospital, walk with the staff that walks with them, walk with their families, give them um, a, a peace and um, and faith as they as they each day, and give them and supply their needs. Father, we want to remember Alvin and Doreen Hildebrandt at this point. Father, we ask that you give them the peace that passes all understanding, that um, you know only you can cover and, and, and support them and walk with them in their hurt. You understand, Father, and uh, Father, we help us that are near them to walk with them as a church, walk with them, and uh, Father, show them that you are here. Now, Father, as we give that bit of that which you have given to us, bless it and multiply it as only you can. Pray this in your name. Amen.
morning. Today's scripture reading will be taken out of the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. That's Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Subtitle is A Triumphal Entry. As he approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They came and found a colt outside in the street, tied in a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is in name who comes in, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thus far. The date is Sunday morning, April the 2nd, 30 AD, and Jesus is getting ready to ride the little donkey down the road into Jerusalem. In just a short time, people will be pouring out into the streets. They'll be throwing down their palm branches and their coats on the little donkey so it can walk on it. They will be singing Jesus' praises. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. However, just four short days from now, the people, these same people, will also be crying out, crucify him, crucify him, away with him. Here's an interesting fact. Approximately one quarter to one half of the Gospels are dedicated to the last week of Christ's teaching, death and resurrection. I want to repeat that one more time. Approximately one quarter to one half of the Gospels are dedicated to the last week of Christ's teachings, death and resurrection. Matthew has 28 chapters. Eight of them deal with last week. Mark has 16 chapters, and half of them, eight of them, deal with Jesus' last week. Luke has 24 chapters, and five and a half chapters deal with the last week. And John has 21 chapters, and nine of them deal with the last week. This morning, I want to take you on a journey by listing in order the events, the teachings, and the miracles that led to the death of Christ. 
It's Sunday, April the 2nd, as I said, 30 AD, and it's Palm Sunday, the first Palm Sunday. That's when it happened on April the 2nd. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, and for the first time, he lets the people cry out to him. He allows them to call him king and to validate his messiahship. Finally, he stops, and then he weeps over the coming destruction as he approaches Jerusalem. Listen as Luke records this for us in in chapter 19, verses 39 to 44. He tells us what happens. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come, the days will come upon upon you when your enemies will build an embarkment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and your children Uh, within your walls. They will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Close quote. Jesus' prophecy took place in 70 AD when the Romans built an embarkment and besieged the city and took it down. It was a horrible time Death all over the place. Monday, April the 3rd. Jesus condemns a fig tree because it has leaves and no fruit. Christ then makes his way over to the temple. And for the second time, Jesus cleanses the temple of the money changers and drives them out. He did it in the first time when he came in um, at the beginning of his ministry. Now he does it again at the end of the ministry. In John chapter 12, Jesus gives a lengthy discord on how a seed must die before it can grow and how he would be lifted up and die so that all men would be drawn to him. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. Tuesday morning, April the 4th. As Jesus and the disciples go by the fig tree again, they see that it has withered and died. The disciples are amazed at what has happened. As they head back to Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin challenged Christ's authority. You will remember that. They asked him in regards to John baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? Of course, they were trying to put Jesus in a a difficult and a hard place. That same day, Jesus tells them three parables. The parables of the two sons. The parable of the landowner and the wicked tenants. The parable of the wedding banquet. These are full days that Jesus is ministering. This is all happening during the final week. The religious leaders then tried to tap Jesus, but, uh, trap Jesus by asking him a question that either way he would answer, he would condemn himself. 
Luke chapter 20, verses 21 through 26. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesars or not? He saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose portrait and inscriptions are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public. And astonished by his answer, they became silent. The Sadducees asked him questions about the resurrection and marriage which followed. And Jesus once again silenced them when he gave them the answers. It's Tuesday afternoon. And uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And we know what is the greatest commandment. To love your Lord, the God, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second follows, and your neighbor as yourself. Wednesday morning, April the 5th. Jesus silenced the Pharisees with a question about the Messiah. Jesus publicly then denounces the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Jesus comments on a widow giving her two mites, or two small copper coins, at the temple. Wednesday afternoon, Jesus gives a great discourse on the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. That afternoon, Jesus tells four parables gives a parable of the faithful and wise servant, tells a parable of the ten virgins, and shares the parable of the talents given out by the master, and tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. Then on the Mount of Olives, Jesus warns of the coming crucifixion and the religious leader's plot. All this taking place In this one week, the Holy Week. It's Wednesday evening now. Jesus is honored at the home of Simon the leopard, and Mary washes Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume. Remember how this woman came from him, and she washed her feet, and Simon said to himself, If this man was really a prophet, he would know who this vile woman would be. He would know it. And Jesus turns to Simon and he says, If a person is forgiven and one had a great debt and a person had a greater one, who would be more thankful? Of course, Simon said, the one with the larger debt. And Jesus says, You have answered correctly. And because her sins are many of the woman, they are forgiven. For she had a large debt, and she was grateful. You know, it's only when we see our sin and what has been forgiven that we are thankful. As long as we think we're good, law-abiding citizens and do everything right, we don't need that much forgiveness. We don't need that much forgiveness. That's what we think. And yet we're as vile 
as a prostitute, were as vile as a murderer, were as vile as the most heinous crimes that anyone could commit. This woman walked away that day being forgiven because she knew she had much to be given. And that's why she loved him. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, um, those who have been forgiven little, love little. Wednesday evening, Jesus, as I said, was honored at the home of Simon the leopard. Wednesday night, Judas bargains with the religious leaders to betray Jesus. That happened on Wednesday night already. Thursday morning and afternoon, April the 6th, preparation is made for the Passover meal in the upper room. Thursday evening, the Passover begins and Jesus starts by washing the feet of the unwilling disciples. And remember, Jesus comes to Peter and says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part in the kingdom. Well, then wash all of me. No, Jesus says, if you have been washed, meaning initially had the initial cleansing, then you have been washed. But as we walk down this dirty road, we get dirtied feet. That symbolizes the sin of each one of us get when we walk day to day and we need cleansing on a daily basis. Thursday evening, the Passover meal begins. Then an argument right after the washing of feet breaks out on regarding who is the greatest in the kingdom. This is not the first time the disciples argue over the greatness in God's kingdom or who is the greatest in God's kingdom. So Jesus teaches them once again. This is not the first time they argue over this. Also a dispute, Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30, arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings and the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Close quote. As you can see, the disciples are filled with much ambition especially this past week, filled with much ambition. Jesus, for the first time, let him call him King and Messiah. 
Up until now, Jesus always put that to the side. When he did the miracles, he told people not to tell anyone. He put everything to the side that he didn't want everybody to reflect on who he was. And now the followers were anticipating the coming earthly Christ. And they were saying, yes, Jesus is now going to let the people proclaim him as king. However, this is not the first time that the disciples argued over over their greatness. As I said before, it happened in Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. It happened in Matthew chapter 20, a little bit later in Uh, verses 24 through 28. Mark records it twice. Mark 9 chapter 30, Mark chapter 9 verses 33 through 37 and then in chapter 10 verses 41 through 45 and then Luke also records it. Luke chapter 9 verses 46 through 48. The three synoptic gospels categorize it and they see it or write it down. So we ought to take note that Jesus instructed his disciples on servant leadership and who is the greatest more than once. They have to hear it a number of times. This is not only the underlying principle of serving here on earth as you are a Christian, but it is the foundation for what will come in the new world, that we are servants. And that is how the kingdom runs as being a servant. The first thing we discover about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God is earth's example found in verses 24 and 25, the portion that I just read from Luke. We see how the disciples were still selfish and self-centered. Here they are on the eve of the crucifixion, disputing who is the greatest, just when the climax, the most important reason why Jesus came to earth, they're arguing who is the greatest. And it is amongst them that they are each saying they are the greatest. Somehow they missed the instructions that Jerusalem would be destroyed and that Christ would be returning a second time. An earthly kingdom blinded their eyes and they could not see the heavenly kingdom. And I think to myself, how many times has the earthly kingdom down here and our luxuries, our good things that we have, has blinded our eyes that we cannot see the coming kingdom? Or it does just... it does not register on us. Yes, we know it in our heads, but to live it out, that is another story. More than likely, this dispute arose out of the action of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. They were self-seeking and self-serving. Even now, Christ had been with them for three years, teaching them, And they are still missing it. They're still missing it. Even now they miss the message of Christ who is the leader. Getting down to serve others by washing their feet. He was giving them the example. Everyone loves servants and those who serve from a grateful heart. Isn't that true? Everyone loves servants. We all love servants, people who have a servant attitude. The only thing is, most of us don't want to be servants. <laughs> We'd rather not be a servant. We'd rather be served. I remember going to McDonald's in the early 70s. 
Remember the, those commercials that used to come on TV? <laughs> and it was, you'd go up and you'd pay your dollar and you'd get your hamburger, you'd get your fries, and you'd get your drink and get change back from your dollar. Those are really interesting days. I remember walking to uh, McDonald's one day, and I, I was just probably maybe about 13 years old at the time. And I remember a family coming back, and they had just ordered everything, and they were putting it on the table, and they gave the one Coke to a child, and that child accidentally down onto the ground it went. <laughs> Pop all over the place. I want to tell you, those employees quickly rushed out over there. They wiped up everything out. The child was crying, but that was no problem. They got the child another drink. They put it on there. The father was happy. The child was happy. Everybody in the restaurant was happy because they were all thinking, if I did that, they would do the same for me too. Because they had learned a long time ago that if you are a servant and you serve... It makes a difference. And they learned that principle and they applied it to their business. And that's a principle from Christ. Serving others, being a servant. The rulers from the earthly kingdom who were the Romans always rule from the top down. They take advantage of the people and those who are underneath them. They elevate themselves while those who are beneath them are humiliated. Obviously, those who have the most dominant force rule overs, over others because that's the world's way. The rulers look for fame, for honor, prestige, and power, and to lord it over others. Earthly examples of leaderships are often self-centered, which spring from a fallen sinful nature. And you and I can fall into that trap because we still have this fallen nature within us and we can still want to serve ourselves rather than serve others. The following verses, verses 26 through 27, demonstrate the heavenly way to who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And what is it? The number two is Christ's example himself from, chapter, from verses 26 through 27. Let me read that for you once again. But you are not to be like that. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. That day when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, they did not like that illustration because if the master and the leader did it, it meant that they ought to do the same thing. Jesus tells the disciples that they are not to be like the world. Those who were older were to be respected, looked up to and listened to. Consequently, the younger ones are not, the, not in the same league as the older ones. However, this means that the leader is to become like the younger one. 
They are to serve and help those who are lower. Everyone knows that according to the world standard, the one who is being served is the greatest. That's how it is in the world. However, heaven standards are the opposite. The greater one is, is the one who serves. Jesus lived by example. Jesus was recognized as a leader among the disciples, and he took off his robe and washed the disciples' feet. Only servants and slaves would do this, because this is what their job was. They were the lowest people on the caste system. They were the lowest. They were owned. And they did the most dirty, the ugly work. And now Jesus, who is the leader, does this. Think about this. He is God in the flesh. He is the one who created the universe and called it into being. All things were made by him and for him. And he is the one who takes off his garments and washes the disciples' feet. Only servants and slaves of the household washed the feet of others. Jesus showed that his kingdom was one of humility, not pride and selfishness. There is no greatness without servitude in the kingdom of God. No greatness without servitude in the kingdom of God. In every church that I have served, there have always been people who have been servants. Every church here as well, there are people who give over themselves, they sacrifice, um, they go out of their way, their energy is already spent, but they'll do anything for the Lord and for others for serving Christ. I remember one particular person I phoned him up one day, and I needed a hand, and we were in the midst of a missions convention, and we were needing a wall poster of the world pinned at the front of the church. And I phoned him up, and I said, we need something done, and at this time, it's busy. I know everybody is just running around. Could you help? This is a fellow who would drop everything, and he would serve. He farmed, but he would drop his work, and he would come. His answer was usually always when I asked him to do something. I've never done that before, but I'll sure give it a try. And I want to tell you, he came to church, him and his wife, and they put up this beautiful world globe on a piece of paper that they had drawn, and it was amazing. But this is the type of person that he was. He gave, and you know, it never, he he just would drop things. In the same way, there's so many people here that will do the same thing for the Lord. They will drop things, they serve to their capacities, and they'll come back and they'll do it all over again. And that's servanthood. And there would be no churches if there's no people in them that serve like that. They serve because they love Jesus. Everyone knows that according to the world standard, the one who serves is the greatest. 
In every church, there's always servants. This brings us to the third discovery of who is the greatest in the kingdom, and that are there are rewards for servitude. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Number three, heaven's rewards, verses 28 through 30. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. You have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Close quote. After the Savior gently corrects their self-centered thinking, he expresses to them how much he appreciates what they have done for him thus far. Christ was now offering them a kingdom not of this world, but of the next world. This was not of honor and power in this world, but instead in serving in the next world, the world to come. And a matter of fact, what we do down here is a dress rehearsal for the next world, how we serve. Don't bother trying to compare yourself with anybody else. Don't look at other people by saying, well, they don't serve the way that they're supposed to be serving. Only look to yourself and look to Christ and say, Lord, help me serve to my fullness. Don't, don't worry about anybody else. Peter had that problem. Remember, at the end of the ministry, at the end when Jesus tells everyone, and especially him, how he was going to die, that he was going to stretch out his arms, and he talked about a crucifixion for Simon Peter. He turns, and how is John going to die? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. And for us and for you and me, let's not worry about anybody else, how they're serving. Only serve to your full capacity, whatever God has called you to serve in. Serve to your fullness, because you are really serving Christ. That's the one you are serving. They would be able to dine at the Lord's table in the life to come and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, they will be put in leadership over others. But listen, listen so closely. We always want to be in leadership over others. This is key. However, once again, leadership is not lording it over others, but serving and helping others. That's the whole idea of leadership. Leadership is always serving others with the gifts that you have given. It might not be the same as your neighbor, but it's serving others. That is it. The dining at the table also represents the complete joy that each person shall have in the kingdom to come. Jesus points out our rewards are in eternity, not down here. Don't think of getting rewards down here. There are benefits of serving down here. But don't think of any benefits for yourself down here. Just serve. And here are some benefits down here. 
as you serve. I'm going to list four of them. Your life becomes, number one, your life becomes a testimony of the transforming power of God. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our life becomes a testimony. And guess what? God gets the glory. The people look into your life and see that you serve God, and they say, that person must serve a great God. That person is serving a great God because others won't do that. Number two, God's bride, the church, will run smoothly and efficiently. When you and I serve and we serve out of a heart attitude, out of an attitude of serving Christ. Guess what? Everything runs smoothly and efficiently. Doesn't mean that there's no problems, but it does mean that things turn around when we serve the Lord. Number three, you will find joy and fulfillment down here as you obey. We can all be full of joy as we serve and as we are obedient. Number four, chances are that you may live longer and healthier life because you serve others. I want to repeat that again. Chances are that you may live longer and a healthier life because you serve others. The spring edition of Servant Magazine in 2003 from Prairie Bible Institute reports as this. A study of longevity among older couples lends support to Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. According to the study, people who give time and energy to friends and relatives and emotional support to spouses are more likely to live longer than those solely on, re- on the receiving end. The research focused on 423 couples in which the husband was 65 or older during a five-year period. Helping friends, neighbors, or relatives with daily tasks and listening to spouses and making them feel loved appeared to independently boost lifespan. Taken together, these findings strongly suggest that giving support rather than receiving support accounts for the benefits of social contacts, what scientists have said. Close quote. The best way for each of us to apply God's instruction for our daily lives is to ask some questions about serving. Here are seven questions to ask yourself about serving, to ask myself about serving. Have I ever served God reluctantly or grudgingly? Have I? Have you? You're asked to do something. You just kind of grit your teeth and you bear it. And you do it grudgingly. Or you do it with great enthusiasm, saying, it's going to be hard, but Christ helped me through my task last time, and he's going to help me this time. Number two, when I'm asked to serve in some way, do I think of what reward is in it for me? 
Or how can I get out of serving? Have you thought about that? Maybe perhaps that's true of all of us. And our attitude, we should not think of the reward that we would get. And we should not think of getting out of this assignment, but rather serve God because it is a joy and we know that joy always follows. Number three, do I realize that serving is a privilege? Wow. There's many people would love to do something, but for some reason they can't anymore. And if we have the health or we have the abilities and we have the talents, then we should say, I have the privilege of serving. Number four, can I think of a time when someone served me which made a big difference in my life? Let me repeat that. Can I think of a time when someone served me which made a big difference in my life? Can you think when someone came and gave you a hand and you might have thanked the person over and over and they said it was nothing, but to you it meant all the difference in the world? And so it is when we go and we serve others, it makes all the difference? Number five, have I honestly sought to know what my spiritual gifts are so that I can employ them to serve others in the church? Do I know all my gifts? And the matter of fact, even when older people are on the road, they many times find new gifts that they never even had. They didn't know they have. Number six. What things in my life keep me so busy from serving others? Are there some things that keep me busy from serving others? Number seven. Am I ready to serve the next time when I'm asked or see a need? Am I ready to serve the next time when I'm asked or see a need? When Jesus was just hours away from being crucified, and one of the last things that he talked about is serving others. Just hours away from crucifixion, he talks about what was on his heart And it was called servitude, serving others. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? The answer is the one who serves. And we can grit our teeth and serve, or we can uh, (laughs) depend on God to help us. So I invite you to uh, join me in the last song. Lord, I need you.
Please stand with me for the benediction. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 says, May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, We thank you for sending Jesus into this world. He lived a life that he asks us to live by example. And it is impossible for us to do this in our own strength. And it is only when we we surrender our lives to you and only when we call out to you daily to give us the strength to be servants like you served. Now I pray, Father, as we go into this new week, help us to be mindful that Friday is set aside as Good Friday as we look upon the crucifixion of your Son and then his resurrection next Sunday to come. So I pray, go with us. May you be honored and glorified in everything that is done. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen. And you may go in his peace.